0: That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Hey guys, before we even start this episode, I just want to thank all you people on Patreon. You're absolutely amazing. We're still a long way from reaching our goal And I'm hoping some of the other listeners can step it up and throw in two bucks a month, five bucks a month on the Patreon page. Again, just go to Patreon and search Mark Striegel or Talking Metal. We definitely need your support. We really, really need your support uh, in more ways than you could imagine. But uh, yeah, so if you can support there, that's awesome. Or if you can do what Anthony Mackey just did, which is send a PayPal donation. I totally appreciate that. Anthony, you rock. Thank you for always supporting what I do here. And another guy who just sent in uh, a $5 PayPal donation, Gene Rogers. Gene, you just said, just found your podcast. So awesome. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Gene. I'm glad you found us after, what, 13 years here? Um, Better late than never. And I hope to give you another 13 years. I don't know if I can do much more than that. 20? Can you imagine 26 years of talking metal? That would be crazy. But uh, anyways, yeah, Gene, thank you so much for supporting. And now let's get into the episode. We're going we're gonna to do a thrash metal episode for the most part. Some other conversations, too, will happen here. But mostly we're going to talk about L.A. thrash metal. Hi, I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005, On this episode, we're going to talk some rock, some metal, and anything else we feel like. We're also going to jam some tunes, have a drink, and share some honest opinions. Thanks for listening to the Talking Metal podcast. Let's get things started. All right, we're going to get right into an interview with Carl Alvarez of the Inside Metal documentary series. Always a pleasure to talk with Carl He's been on numerous episodes of Talking Metal, and it's great to have him back. So let's, uh, without further ado, talk some thrash metal with Carl Alvarez. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and we have on the line once again, it's been a little while, Carl Alvarez, one of the producers of the great Inside Metal documentary series. Carl, how are you?
0: pretty good mark um all is well and i'm glad to be here so glad to be talking with you and everyone
1: yeah man the new edition or episode i guess i'd call it of of the inside metal documentary series is great as as always i mean they all have been great this is just a a really great story and it is the rise of la thrash metal you can watch it on amazon prime and uh, what's the website carl where can people buy the dvd
0: uh well primarily people have been buying it on amazon uh they go to metal rock films i'm not sure if it's up on there i i gotta kind of peruse myself to see because you know it, it just got released uh april 6th this the second part to the you know the rise of l.a thrash metal right um so it's out there uh it's on google play um I know okay. a lot of people are kind of streaming. Seems to be the method of choice these days. So it's, yeah. those are good avenues to and I'm, go
1: lo- down. I'm looking at Amazon right now, and it looks like both uh, the rise of thrash metal, the 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 one and two uh, DVD of that are up on Amazon. So we'll definitely have that link through today's show notes on talkingmetal.com and talkingrock.net, and the production of this, Carl were most of these interviews done when you were, you know, it started production on the whole inside metal series like years ago, or did you have to do new interviews for the rise of LA thrash metal edition?
0: Uh, a little bit of both. I mean, a lot Bob, uh, had done in 2012, 2013. Um, you'll see a lot of, uh, Uh, if you watch the movie um a lot was done at silver cloud studios which was uh where joe floyd uh the the other producer uh did a lot of the filming so you'll see kind of the terrace area um kind of into the future after that you know we there was there was interviews after that i know david ellison we did we actually did we did him i remember we went up to actually up to la to interview david ellison and um they were, he was recording um, the project he did with Frank Bellow at Jay Rustin's house. And I do not even know we were going to Jay Rustin's house, but you'll see the footage there between uh, Frank Bellow and, and David Ellison is, is pretty much the same because that's the backyard of uh, Dave, uh, Jay Rustin, the producer that uh, did the
1: project that Frank Bellow and David Ellison did. So
0: you'll, you'll well see a well lot. of the
1: last Anthrax record. Uh, yeah, exactly. For All Kings, a great record, by the way, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And he was very nice, very gracious, and it was a great studio, too. We got a little sneak peek of that, too. So it was kind of cool. It was kind of a surprise, actually, for us, because it was just going to be David Ellison. And Frank Bell Is like, hey, you know. So he jumped in there, too, and it was great, because, you know, we we didn't want to really give that kind of, um, you know, we we didn't want to, like, be kind of narrow-casted in the sense that we just had L.A. guys. I mean, primarily there are L.A. guys, but, you know, the whole experience of thrash metal, is a global experience and i think that's what we kind of found out when we started doing this although we knew three of the four big four bands were la based but the thrash just seemed to be a global phenomenon so it was really good to have these other people who were looking at the scene from the outside in versus the inside out so
1: yeah and you know the the main thing i think that's so that this documentary does well that's so important you know when when people today think of thrash metal they think of you know san francisco for the most part is the is the city that's associated with it and you know we have different cities that are associated with different styles of music everyone knows that but but it, this this really shows that in a lot of ways those roots of thrash really kind of stretch back to the the LA area. I mean, even not just, you know, not just Metallica and 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 or I'm sorry, Megadeth and and Slayer, but Metallica too. This is this is a band that definitely started in LA, correct? Yeah,
0: that's for sure. If you look at it really um really going back, I mean, obviously Metallica just kicked it off. And you know they were basically based out of Norwalk, California. It's a suburb of LA. Uh, if you look at Slayer, uh, you know Carrie King grew up in Downey, went to Warren High School. Uh, no, Downey is that Orange County? Uh, no, it's LA no, County. No, that's it LA. Is, okay, it's adjacent to to Norwalk. You look at Dark Angel. They're Long Beach based, Downey based, Huntington Beach based. So it's a bit of Orange County, a bit of LA County, but the suburbs, not primarily the LA hub, you know, I, I think I think we've talked about it in previous episodes. Okay, well, how come there weren't any metal bands from Manhattan? You know? Right. Yeah. And yeah. for us it's like, well, it's we don't Suburban really have any thing. things it is a completely a suburban thing. You think of the kid that likes metal uh, hanging out with their friends—it's really a suburban thing, you know. So, it really goes to show you that it—that's—that's that's really where the roots started out. And we've talked about it before too. That Orange County was really a good stomping ground because LA was a little bit more sophisticated, and they had more of a—they were more entrenched in the music scene as a whole. W- rather than Orange County, kind of had a, a perfect opportunity for these bands to kind of hone in. On what they were all about before being showcased to the world stage, that would be L.A. If you think about it, but they were also shut out too. You know, they weren't they weren't treated like the other bands who kind of had a, their foot in the door. They really had to work a little extra harder because uh, the the music was a little more intense. the The crowds were probably maybe between being sparse and between being full force. You know uh there's a point where uh, Juan Garcia, from, who's now in Body Count, but back then he was in a band called Abattoir. Um, they started to make a little headway up at the L.A. clubs. And Kerry King knew Juan Garcia and had said, hey, can, you know, we'd really like to get up in the L.A. clubs, too. And they were able to get on a night when they opened up for Slayer. This is 1984, January and that was through Juan Garcia kind of getting them into the inroads because he was friends already with Blackie cuz they had already done gigs together with with Wasp I'm uh, talking about uh, Abattoir when Juan Garcia was in that band so it's a it's a little bit of kind of a camaraderie yet helping one people out yet growing the scene and it wasn't even called thrash even back then you know thrash that term just started making inroads maybe 84 but definitely by 85 it was kind of a it was crossed between speed metal and thrash. That's what what people started calling it as. By 86, it was definitely, it was thrash.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, I remember hearing Agent Steel for the first time, the, the, what was it, the Skeptics Apocalypse Mm -hmm. album, and just being blown away. And at that time, I remember my friend who turned me on to them, he was like, this is a speed metal band, but it's now, I don't know, I'd almost when you look back at it, they're, they're kind of thrashy. I would, I mean, I would call them a thrash band, but it, that, that term thrash definitely really didn't take hold. Like you said, until like 86 or even 87, you know, with the mainstream public.
0: Yeah. If you look like at a band, like um, I'll just go across the, the waters here, or even a band called hell, you know, Halloween. If you look at the walls of Jericho record, yeah. you know, they were doing the real, it was really fast and really powerful, but, they just called it heavy metal, but it was kind of thrash. But it was kind of heavy. It, there was that a lot of that going on across the world. You had bands like Creator, Destruction. I mean, Germany really kind of took took the baton too in terms of Europe and and Celtic Frost especially too. They were they were really important to the whole thing. And you see a lot of when when the LA scene was fostering itself too. Slayer got those tours with those bands with Voivod and. And, you know, it, it, there started to be like an interwoven connection on a global scale. So it was it, it was interesting to see how that developed in in terms of they were really separated from the whole metal scene. They were their own little monster really out there.
1: Right. And the guy you mentioned earlier, was it Juan Garcia? I mean, he, he was in Agent Steel, right?
0: Yeah, he he was in an amateur and then they, they decided to uh, join forces, I guess, It, um, yeah, and then Agent Steel came about, absolutely. So that was 85, 86,
1: yeah. Cool, and as somebody who, you know, was living in that area at that time, there seems to have been, as there was nationally, probably internationally, such a, like these lines were drawn between, commercial hard rock bands and and thrash bands, and it was very hard to cross the lines. You know, I was a guy who liked, in 1986, I liked that first Poison record. Look what the cat dragged in. It, I mean, it had a rough edge. You'd listen to the title track. I mean, that's a hard rocking song with with metal overtones, but I also was listening to Agent Steel and, and Megadeth and Armored Saint, and there was, like, this weird thing where you couldn't, you couldn't really like both. There was such division even within the heavy metal community. And it seems like that division was really strong in in Los Angeles and, and may have even in some ways caused some of these bands to want to disassociate themselves from the city of Los Angeles and the, the, the word, you know, the Hollywood world, if you will, is it. Is, what do you think about that?
0: Uh, yeah, each each party, whether it be the glam side or the thrash heavier side, they were each each other's antithesis to one another. Right. Uh, they really kind of carved out their own areas. Basically, you could kind of look at it as maybe the suburbs were where more the thrash element was, I suppose. And maybe more of the Hollywood scene was more where everybody else was directed at in terms of the whole glam thing. I don't know. We didn't really call it glam. Although, if you were an outsider, that's what you would call it. glam. Right. So there'd be the Poisons, the Warrens, or the maybe even a little Black and Blue, and these these other bands that were kind of shifting their direction too with the second record into a more commercial kind of yeah. look.
1: And, yeah, and- I mean, glam was a weird title because we never called it glam either. This is, you know, a kid growing up in the Chicago suburbs. We specific because glam was T-Rex, you know, sweet. Mm. And, you know, even Bowie, Ziggy Stardust era Bowie, at least that 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 stuff was was glam, you know, but even, you know, the New York Dolls was kind of glam punky, you know, but gl- we always specifically called it glam metal because Glam was something different, but glam metal, of course, was like the poison and the rat, and and you could even throw like black and blue in there. But um, you know, we also referred to it as commercial hard rock. You know, so I don't know. I just feel like it seemed like it was such a counterproductive thing for guys with long hair and distorted guitars, who a lot of them could play their instruments very well, to to just not get along and, and fight a common cause of, 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 you know, rock music. It was it just, because the divisions were bad. I mean, there were, there were fights, people, mm-hmm. people hated each other on, you know, and you really couldn't successfully subscribe to both camps, you know?
0: Yeah. I had a friend of mine. You remember him telling me a story. Uh, uh, he was wearing a master's of puppet t-shirt and this must've been maybe 87, 86 and I remember him and a bunch of other guys, they went to a party where a couple of guys in Warrant were there. I guess they were throwing the party. And and they got the kind of uh, stink eye from the guys in Warrant that, you know, they were kind of... And my friend lives in Downey, by the way, that I'm talking about. So, um, you know, it's, you know, kind of looking at it as down, uh, down at it, you know, and so there was a, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was because... The 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 thrash guys were really the technical side of things and really proficient at at the riffs and it was complex you know it's coming from this world of the new wave of British heavy metal and King Diamond and Celtic Frost and it it was a, it was a little bit more complex you know and maybe the the glam guys were just into the you know the verse verse chorus bridge verse solo you know and that was kind of the end of the story and and you know the lyrics weren't as you know, if you look, look at Dave Mustaine and his lyrics or James Hetfield, that really complex, very deep, um, deep meanings and, and, and very disturbing, disturbing content
2: that yeah.
0: like Slayer too. I mean, really delving into the kind of the dark side, you know, of uh, whether it be, um, you know,
1: but uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Well, it's weird because I hear what you're saying and maybe as far as song structure goes, there was, uh more more simplicity to what the commercial hard rock bands and quote unquote glam metal bands were doing, however, some of the greatest guitar players as far as solos go I mean look at Warren D Martini or George Lynch I mean those guys they just killed it and I mean you have guys like Gary Holt now admitting you know when I interviewed Gary colt uh, Holt uh, from Exodus a number of years back he he basically told me yeah we 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 would go on the tour bus and make sure no one was was watching and we'd put on tooth and nail by Dawkins and you know the first rat um out of the cellar and we'd we'd shred and and practice those those solos because those guys were were really good and and but we could never really tell anybody that we liked those guys which just seems crazy to me
0: the moral of the story is never admit what you really like if you know you're going right. to get put down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what, yeah. you know, it's and it probably didn't do anybody any favors, but if you were trying to be cool, it's the difference between drinking a wine cooler and drinking, you know, a 40 or, you know, a straight whiskey, you know.
2: Right.
0: It, you had to be extreme in in how you presented yourself or you just weren't cool, you know. Now yeah. it's cool. I mean, people really accept the kind of oddities that they are, and everything yeah. kind of works together, you know? Yeah, but... I think
1: people are way more accepting nowadays. And, you know, let's let's talk, uh, again, we're talking with Carl Alvarez, one of the producers of the Inside Metal documentary series, which is just a great series that everyone should watch from the beginning. But the, the new addition, of course, is the rise of L.A. thrash metal. Let's talk about a band. Suicidal tendencies. Now, I remember for as a, as a kid, for the first time hearing the song. What was it? Uh, I I shot I shot Reagan. I shot the devil. You know that I shot the devil. I think is the name of the song. And I could not fucking believe what I was hearing. It was it was mind altering. I I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard anything like it. Not not even anything close to it. Let's talk about that band, Suicidal Tendencies, who basically started out as more of a hardcore punk band and kind of evolved into like a metal band or possibly one of the first metal core bands, if you will. They're, they're covered in this film. And let's just, I guess, what are your memories of this band coming onto the scene?
0: Well, Venice, California, it was kind of a distant world for us, but what we heard about it wasn't. It was kind of dangerous. Uh, it's a it really very happened.
1: different Venice Beach than it is in two thousand eighteen, right? Oh, it, was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, it was a very <laughs> rough place. That movie, Colors, I don't know if you remember that, the Sean Penn uh, movie that was Dennis Dennis Hopper actually, I think, directed it. That was shot in Venice, and it was, you know, that was the rough, gang, violent area uh, of the of the the coast, the beach there, right?
0: Yeah, and. That's pretty much, yeah, that pretty much sums it up, at least at that time. Um, it's probably a little bit more cleaner and, and more presentable. It's, but yeah, so you got that backdrop. Um, and them coming from a punk attitude and then incorporating the metal, they were probably the best and the first to actually do it. These guys were also very proficient at their instruments. Um, you look at that first Frontiers record. Um, you know, institutionalized as automatically a classic song. It was played on uh, the local New Wave station, KRQ. Um, it wasn't being played on, on the metal stations yet, or at least the ones that had metal programming. You probably could hear it on a college metal show or even a punk show. But by the time Rocky George joined, joined the band it started to change a lot and evolve where Rocky George was more of a a great player. He was a follower of Uli Roth, but he was also a fusion guy too and understood that world. And then coming into the whole suicidal thing and the whole attitude that Mike Muir had, who actually, you know, his brother was designing skateboards, all the Dogtown skateboard designs. So they automatically grew up into that world of kind of the entrepreneurship, but yet this kind of dark seedy gang environment they grew up in and it it all kind of came together in a sense because people could identify with these guys and their sound and they it was almost like an army i mean you see the second record join the army i mean that's called arms right there you know And suicidal became not just a band it became a movement and you see them later just kind of growing off of that and you know being embraced and doing these tours with you know they had management with megaforce and then i remember my friend i've talked about her before sue tropio who became very good friends with with rocky george and then she went on to work for um q prime and got them on the q prime roster and then they were able to get the you know the metallica tour um and doing europe and obviously getting the 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 tour with um uh, what was the big one uh, that was uh, clash of the titans so right yep so you know they they're a perfect of example of what the crossover thing and how it fit with the thrash thing they were just kind of like um two two brothers uh, working in in this world of duality between this kind of extreme underground and and enjoying ex- this this mass success that was starting to spring up by this time but you look at uh, 87 88 89 90 moving into the 90s now by this time you get in the 90s and the whole glam thing because of nirvana starts to push itself away and doesn't start to be as cool anymore we had a band called dark angel that's interviewed in this in this movie and they started out in that thrash world but the whole metal thing started to really kind of change and evolve and i think record labels didn't know how they were going to spend their money and put their money behind and unfortunately dark angel fell by the wayside because they probably thought well we're going to put our 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 money into the newer bands that are coming on board you know even though that last album was produced by terry date who went on to do the pantera stuff and really had great success in the 90s producing all these great bands so you know some people benefited by the whole experience when moving into the 90s and some didn't. We didn't address it that much in the movie series, but I guess that's the next phase if we were ever to (laughs) tell that story how men moved into the 90s. That would be a good place to start.
1: Cool. And we are talking with Carl Alvarez of the Inside Metal documentary series. Again, you guys have to see this the rise of LA Thrash Metal. It's an important story that needed to be told. And you, along with with Bob, Nelbandian, have have done a great job in, in telling the story. Uh who's doing the, the the voiceover on this? Can you tell us a little bit about the uh the narration?
0: Yeah, David Elson um is doing the narration and you know, much like what's Joe- great, yeah. Yeah, much like what John Bush did, you know, David, David came from the Midwest, but he came at the right, came in at the right place at the right time in 1983, and you know that story has been told of how he met up with uh, Dave Mustaine, and the rest of his history. So he saw the scene really from the ground up, and he was seeing these bands that what we we were seeing the Steelers and the Rough Cuts, but they they Dave actually had a vision dave mustaine and you know we're not going to play la we're going to play the outskirts or we're going to go up to san francisco because that's where thrash metal is at and that's you know and he was right you know right. every move was completely calculated correctly for megadeth's stake for their success so it's great to have him in there not only talking about it and narrating but just kind of having that Knowing this person really came from that place, and and it really m- brings the authenticity to it. So it's it's really cool to have them there.
1: Absolutely, definitely a great addition. And the let's see, John Bush did the voiceover on the the second one, right?
0: Correct. Yeah, yeah. and he's featured in the third one too, because Armand Saint. There, there, there's another band too that really were part of the the whole. I call it the second wave, meaning the first wave is Van Halen and the second wave is Motley Crue, Quiet Riot. So they're in the mix of that, but they still kind of had that outskirt type mentality too, where the thrash bands were also a part of. So it was important to put them in there too, because they they evolved into that too as well, although they were kind of a little different
1: from the more thrashier bands. Right on. Definitely. Yeah. And they always seemed like they were kind of stuck in this weird, spot like they weren't they weren't really commercial hard rock you know but they they and they definitely weren't thrash and I, I always felt like bands like that really I mean you can almost put Wolf in the same the Wolf definitely a very different sound than Armored Saint but they were one of those bands that didn't really fall into any of the uh the, the genres quite they didn't fit nicely with anything you know Um even Racer X I mean they were kind of an oddball band in the LA scene
0: yeah you know I think when we talk about armored St and, and and they they had to coke and Leather Wolf, we had to, they had to coexist with appeasing the record company and because they wanted to make they wanted to benefit from their investment, obviously. but yet the, you know there's a growing sense of confusion of what are we are we' a heavy band or we a thrash band or we a guitar heavy band or we're we a commercial we got some pop getting on pop radio or commercial radio I mean, the, this it, they just didn't know where they stood after a while you know so yeah, yeah. Totally. a lot of fans fell into that so uh but talking about the movie yeah you know i think we cover a lot we get into stories probably most people haven't heard about um so if if you're coming at it even as a a person that's not familiar with it and you're you like music you like heavy music or you like these thrash bands there's a lot lot to pull from and there's also for the fan who is really into it to really um get self-absorbed into it because the stories are great you know in terms of uh really describing what was going on vividly and from from everybody that we interviewed so it's uh,
1: it's something Something cool. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the amount of interviews you guys did for, for this whole series is, is staggering. I mean, it had to be like, what, 40, 40 50 interviews?
0: Yeah, uh, if you look at it collectively, we did about 65, I Wow, believe. okay, wow. I think wow. for this movie, we, there was 25 to 30. Um, but we tried to cover the whole spectrum. I mean, we got everybody from, you know, Ernie C from, from Body Count, um, Who is interesting? We we talk a little bit about how he met up with Dave Mustaine and that whole thing. So there were uh, you know all of these people's worlds kind of intertwined at some point or another. Whether they're playing the same venues because these thrash bands couldn't play the the bigger Sunset Strip type venues and they had to go and play in the outskirts. But you know Megadeth had their booking agent that was putting booking them into these kind of more outskirt places where more of the fans were that that's that's where they wanted to reach so um yeah so we try to cover the whole spectrum of 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 these bands and you know even talking to Stephen craig the first manager for slayer and just you know it's interesting to see that him and carrie really they just honed in on the concept and that concept still holds today of how down to the logo and the attitude and um how they were going to be on stage and just just the whole thing. So it's amazing to see these people who were not considered in the music scene and appreciated that they actually had more of a vision than these other bands that were signed to record labels that, you know, seemed to have every endorsement and money thrown at them and the cool tours. I mean that didn't happen later t- for the thrash bands until later and they got these tours, but you know, it's, it's interesting to see that evolution.
1: Absolutely. And again, guys, we'll have links up in today's show notes where you can purchase the DVDs for inside metal, the rise of, wait, am I saying that right? Uh, yeah. The rise of LA thrash metal, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So
0: they're both available and, uh, definitely look for it on, uh, when you post this interview up yeah. and, yeah, you should be able to find it. And anywhere. the other
1: two, I I don't have the, my notes in front of me, but uh the Pioneers, right? The Pioneers is the first one.
0: <laughs> yeah, the LA, the Pioneers of LA Hard Rock and, and Metal. The
1: LA's Metal Scene Explodes is that that's yep. the second one? Okay, good. Yep. All right. And they're all great. I, I I love that LA Metal Scene Explodes, which I I was telling Bob I just actually was re-watching that recently on the night flight app which is a very cool streaming app you know in the in the same style as as netflix but it just has all these cool documentaries and concerts and uh you know weird old movies and stuff the night flight app is a subscription-based streaming television app and and you guys at least your your second one is is up on on netflix or not Netflix, oh. what did I say? Night Flight. Night, night Flight.
0: flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it, it, you have to be 45 years or older to <laughs> yeah. remember what Night Flight was. But right. it was kind of cutting edge. If you had basic cable, besides watching MTV, you could watch Night
1: Flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's Friday night videos, too, I used to watch. Do you remember that one?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: We, we never had it. Like, it took a while for the cable to get to our town. So I liked it. Really, it was Friday night videos. And they used to show this weird show after that called Rock Palace. Which was, uh, which was interesting. It had like Dio and Alcatraz and Sabbath were on it. But yeah, it was a uh, different time, that's for sure, back in those days. So it was great talking to you, Mark.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, go out and get it. I guarantee you're going to get uh, the bang for your buck on it. It's, it's definitely worth just based on the feedback we've gotten.
1: And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Highly recommended. Thank you, Carl. We will talk to you soon. Very good. was black magic by slayer going way back guys we desperately need your support on patreon and we want to see you at heavy montreal so let's uh, hear from the heavy montreal folks right now Coors light presents heavy montreal july 28th and 29th outdoors at park jean drapeau featuring avenge sevenfold rob zombie and marilyn manson a weekend of hard rock and metal with Gojira, Emperor, Under Oath, Hollywood Undead, and many more. Festival passes are on sale now. See the full lineup at HeavyMontreal.com. Produced by Avenco. And to take us out, a little Megadeth live. This is in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And this is In My Darkest Hour. One of the classic Megadeth songs from an L.A. thrash band here live again in Argentina. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next time.
2: But it's far, far away. Everlasting love for me, in a Around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.